seems like a good idea on today's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all thing energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm executive director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live from my undisclosed location somewhere in Columbia, Missouri. Joined on the boards, as always, by Philip Rasika, joining us from his undisclosed location in Kansas City. Hey, Philip. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. What a great start we're off to. Uh, and it might be a couple of weeks before anyone hears this, but yes, we are recording this at the beginning of the year. Um, very special guests today. We're going to be talking about uh, a topic that is very complicated and it's got a lot of a lot of issues attached to it. Uh oh, and people are already excited. They're calling me about it. <laughs> um, Simon May Han Han. May I got it. I got it wrong. You got it right the first time. Okay. <laughs> what is your you? What what group are you with? Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm Simon Mahan. I'm the executive director of the Southern Renewable Energy Association. Right, which is a it's a C6 organization, which you kind of represent industrial uh, kind of industry um, right. interests. You're yes. out of Louisiana? Well, so I had lived in Louisiana for about seven years, and then about two or three years ago, we moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Oh, okay. So what is it that your group does? Who do you represent? So I work with a lot of, uh, my members are a lot of the large-scale renewable energy development companies, solar developers, wind, energy storage, uh, folks that are interested in, in transmission and uh, uh, the utility business as a whole. So I work just really closely with a lot of the, the big names in uh, renewable development. Mm -hmm. and, uh, how, and how long have you been doing that? Oh, gosh, we started the group initially in 2013 um, okay. as a project, and then we formally formalized in probably in about 2018, I think it was, oh, wow. um, at, originally, officially as a C6. So it took us a few years to get our legs underneath us, uh, to get enough members uh, to, to make it a, a standalone organization. And then we, as you had mentioned, mentioned we launched it as a, a trade association. And with this trade association, I mean, what specifically is it that you do for your members? Like, what is it? What, what kind of opportunities do you provide for them? Sure. So I work in an 11 state region. Uh, Missouri is not one of them, oh. uh, but I, 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 of course, do have roots to Missouri. Yeah, uh, which I, I think we'll talk about here in a moment. But I work in Louisiana, Arkansas, uh, up to Kentucky and everywhere south of there. And so I work frequently on integrated resource planning with the Intergees, with TVA, the Southern Company affiliates over into the Carolinas uh, and certainly up into Kentucky. And then in addition to the IRP work that I do, so mostly the regulatory work with the public service commissions, um, also do uh, regional transmission organization work at MISO, uh, so the Midcontinent Independent System Operator. Right. Yeah. And so for our, our listeners who might not, I mean, we've talked about integrated resource planning on this podcast. That is the process by which in Missouri anyway, and it's going to probably be different in every state and with every utility, but in our state, um, utilities like Ameren, Evergy, Liberty Empire, they uh, have these kind of triennial, like three-year cycles where they come in and they kind of outline what their plans are going to be for the next 20 years. And that does involve a lot of where they're going to get their power. What is that power going to look like? How are they going to retire existing sources of, 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 of energy generation. So that's, that, and that's important. We, Renew Missouri gets involved with that a lot um, with the Missouri utilities, but it is something that I mean, I think, well, you sounds like you do that in almost all the states that you cover. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's about 80% of the work that I do is on IRPs. And as you can imagine throughout a region that large, there's almost always an IRP going on. And as you said, each state and even each utility within each state does it a little differently. And so I've had, you know, three or four different cycles with the same utilities. So I, I I've gotten a fair bit of uh, experience with 
some of the tips and tricks that uh, that are played in, in some of these reports uh, to try and really figure out how to optimize renewable energy. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, you mentioned the work that you're doing at MISA. That, that kind of is moving us closer to what I'm interested in talking to you about. Um, so this is, yeah, this is really new. I mean, we've talked about this kind of briefly mentioned this. We've mentioned this in some of our emails. Um, okay, so when you look around Missouri, you know, it, it's hard enough trying to understand, you know, utilities and energy policy and that sort of thing. But there's these kind of invisible marketplaces that if you're in Missouri, for the most part, are all around you. Um, Missouri actually has two of them, uh, which makes it even more of a challenge in our state to, to kind of deal this work. Um, we have these regional transmission organizations, where basically it's um, how do I put this? How, what's the easiest way of putting this? I mean, and Simon, please correct me if I'm wrong on this. Basically where these marketplaces kind of represent different geographical areas where utilities are, you know, constantly sort of trading. Uh, if say I'm a utility company and I need power from someone and someone has made power they don't need to use, there's this process of kind of of kind of working out sales on that in between these utilities. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, our purposes. It's it's a really complicated and yeah. really uh, nebulous thing to kind of discuss because I mean, very early on in my energy career, like one of the most amazing things that no one really just like sat me down and told me was energy is generated and consumed at the exact same time. It's instantaneous. It is lightning. It is good. I mean, like most goods have some sort of storage or inventory or something like that. Not right. That's right. It happens at light speed. And so whatever is generated at a power plant, it's instantly being consumed somewhere else. But the problem has when the, when the electric industry was created well over a hundred years ago now, not everybody had electricity. And so you started seeing electric generation pop up in bigger cities. And then slowly but surely, you started having more electrification throughout America through the uh, Rural Electrification Act, through TBA, through some cooperative utilities, municipal utilities. And really, as time went on, folks started to figure out, you know what, it would actually be easier and better and cheaper and more reliable if I had better connections with my neighbors. So if my power plant that is powering my neighborhood all of a sudden goes offline, I can still get power from my neighbors if they've got extra. And so you're making the system more reliable, but also cheaper to run because if you've got a much larger neighbor that has a much more efficient power plant, you can buy the spare energy from that that neighbor when they're not using it. And when they are using it, that's why you've got your power plant too, so that you can you can generate your, your electricity that you need whenever you need it. And so the RTOs kind of add this, additional layer of complexity on top of things where the the independent system operators, MISO and the Southwest Power Pool that you've got in Missouri, they are independent nonprofit platforms. Right. Where not the government. They're they're not the government. They 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 are independent. Um, They are uh, usually run by and with the utilities along with independent power producers and the the state regulators and advocates like myself. And they are designed to be truly marketplaces where electric generation facilities can bid in a price to sell energy. And if there's a buyer, then they can sell that energy. And so the idea of the RTOs is that they are providing a platform to buy and sell energy at the lowest cost. And then there's a lot of additional benefits of having um, a a nonprofit organization there because they are really there to try and determine what's the quickest, cheapest way to get power flowing um, from very large geographic regions. And so MISO in particular, runs from all the way down to Louisiana, all the way up to Canada. Yeah, and that includes the eastern half of Missouri, essentially. Right. I mean, it's not precise, but when you're talking about, like, say, Ameren, uh, or you're talking about, um, 
some of the municipalities on the eastern side of the state, that's MISO. That's right. about the western side of the state, or even like somewhere like Columbia, like we're 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 Maroon, Missouri is based in Columbia. It's a municipal utility. It's in the Southwest Power Pool, which I think is based in Little Rock, and That's it right. goes into it's part of Missouri. It's Kansas, Oklahoma, parts of Texas. Um, is any of it in Louisiana? Probably not. Yes, there there yeah. is a little bit. Yeah. So the Southwestern Electric Power Company, which is an AAP subsidiary. Um, they're a funny utility because they've got a little bit of kind of the northwest Arkansas Fayetteville area, and then oh. they skip basically the Washita Mountains and then go back down into Texarkana, Shreveport, and that surrounding area, even on over into Texas a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, so if you live in those areas, um, if you like, say, are Evergy or Liberty Empire uh, or City of Springfield, City of Independence, they're all SPP. Um, now, you don't work with the SPP. I think you mentioned you work with MISO. That's right. Uh, I, I, I've, I've done my time in SPP for, for a couple of years, and so I'm, I'm familiar enough with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So like when you're talking about advocating for renewable energy use and, and, and you know, and again, reason this is an industry uh, group that you're running is there are independent producers that operate in those geographical areas that sell onto the grid that aren't necessarily associated with the utilities, but they are engaged with selling power. Yep, that's A lot right. of people don't know that. Yeah, well, and so th these organizations are they are open to the public. And so, you know, a lot of what, um, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with uh, the cloak and dagger work up in Missouri, but it's really not necessarily that way with the RTOs. You can attend the meetings, even as a private citizen. Um, right. you, there was a meeting just this morning on distributed energy resources uh, for MISO. It was the, their first meeting of the year. And um, okay. it, Anyone can can attend the meetings, listen into them. Uh, usually, you can speak up, but if nothing else, you can almost always provide comments, written comments, uh, yeah. into these organizations and and provide them feedback. Now, whether or not they they take that feedback and uh, fully implement what you're asking for is another uh, another issue. But uh, I do find them to be fairly open and transparent uh, in terms of of how folks can get engaged. But I will say uh, it's kind of like wrestling with an octopus. There are so many meetings and there are so many, uh, so many different acronyms and the industry lingo is just atrocious in these things. And so it, it can be really daunting to even uh, get started with going to some of the meetings. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's right. I mean, you can talk about how difficult dealing with even a state regulatory body like the Public Service Commission in Missouri is, then you start talking about dealing with some of these other issues, like dealing with some like how interconnection works and how trans and some of these transmission issues works and everything else. Um, yeah, it's a whole other language. So, you know, having professionals, having attorneys or, or just any like kind of utility technical experts working um, within that, uh, within those bodies and trying to be involved, that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. It's working throughout the, the rest of the Southeast. So MISO, uh, at least the, the work that I do, covers Louisiana, Mississippi, and Arkansas. It, it goes into Texas as well, um, but I, I predominantly work in those, those three yeah. states. The rest of the Southeast, uh, over to TVA in Tennessee, and then Southern Company with Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and then the, the Duke and Dominions over in the Carolinas, um, and then even parts of Kentucky, they, they don't have an RTO. And so a lot of the things that you and I are talking about right now, generation interconnection, transmission planning, long-term forecasting, locational marginal prices, none of that exists really for a regular advocacy organization like mine. Uh, to operate in. And so we don't have that additional venue of, of advocacy throughout much of the Southeast, but instead uh, that's why we really focus on these integrated resource plans because it makes them just that much more important. So is this a kind of your opinion about this, or maybe there's like some actual explanation for it. I mean, cause, and we're going to get into the Southeast uh, part of the country a little more in detail. I'm, I'm, I am moving towards that dear viewer, dear listener. Um, why is it that these 
I mean, that's a pretty sizable part of the country. It's where Atlanta is. It's where the Carolinas are. You have very big utilities working there. Why have they not developed uh, organizations like what we're talking about that Missouri has two of? Why is that, do you think? Well, yeah. So about uh, 21 or 22 years ago now, uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission uh, developed an order uh, that strongly encouraged the development of these wholesale marketplaces, these, these RTOs. And much of the country caught on and said, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. We, we recognize those benefits that I was talking about earlier of better interconnection, better economic dispatch, lowering prices for consumers. Yeah. And functionally, what that is, is competition. So if you have competition between the different power producers, you can help reduce the cost overall, make the system run better. Um, and, and become much more advanced much more quickly. And so much of the country bought into these regional transmission organizations as recommended through FERC. And so through that time, actually, there were discussions in the Southeast of developing what was called Grid South or Southeast Trans. There were actually two competing RTO uh, options happening around the same time in the early 2000s. But those discussions actually kind of fell apart. Uh, it, it, I, at the time, I, I wasn't in the industry, wasn't working on these issues, and so I, I can't give you the full history of it. But um, what happened is much of the country moved on to these RTOs, and our region didn't. And so instead, what we have is a totally vertically integrated uh, marketplace. And so the, the generation owners, so the utilities also own the transmission and they also pick and choose what generators turn on and turn off at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, and to that same extent, I mean, you know, the Southeast doesn't have anything like this, but, you know, we talk about these two uh, groups operating in Missouri, there is a big geographical part of Missouri that doesn't have it because Associated Electric Cooperative Incorporated, or AECI, uh, which is the wholesale power supplier for the 40, well, no, let me, let me start back, the six generation and transmission organizations that power the 43 distributive co-ops in Missouri, 43 of those, Simon, <laughs> it's a lot. That, yeah, that, that is a lot. A lot. And, and they, none of them are participants in this marketplace either. AECI is not involved with SPP. It is not involved with MISO. Um, and, you know, and look, I mean, the co-ops are, are, you know, well, they're, they're, they're special here in Missouri, which is to say they, they operate without a lot of, they don't operate. And I, I don't mean special, like in some sort of like flip way, but they don't get, they don't have oversight from uh, the Public Service Commission. Um, you know, a lot of energy or uh, uh, utility related um, legislation that gets filed in Missouri. I was just looking at a piece today that's going to get filed, um, carves out the co-ops. I mean, so they always get like a lot of, uh, they, they kind of, they, they kind of are seen as being more responsive to the public because they are more localized. They do have board of directors that are plucked from uh, they, uh, the community that they serve. I mean, there's a lot of other issues that go along with that, but I think it's a perception of the state government that they uh, don't need the same kind of oversight that an Amron does or an Evergy does or a Liberty Empire does. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that story. So what you and I have been kind of watching um, is there's an, there is now... We talk about the Southeast and we're talking about the co-ops here in Missouri. There is now a proposal that we've been aware of for some time uh, that is called the Southeast Energy Exchange Market Seam. It's really seam. <laughs> There's a lot of E's in there. Like I, I, I always kept exchange out, but it's seam. Right. So, I mean, so, I mean, but it, it kind of is talking about creating not an RTO, uh, but, but some, I mean, it's, well, kind of, can you, if you were to explain to a, a, like, just kind of someone who's kind of slightly interested in energy, what it, what would, how would you describe it? Um, I think it's, it, it, I think it's best described as a 
as a very basic energy marketplace where you don't have to buy and you don't have to sell. Okay. And that's kind of a key component of these RTOs is um, you're not allowed to manipulate the market like that. You're not allowed to one hour say, uh, you know, I'm going to offer in this power plant and then the next hour say I'm not and artificially create a supply problem. And so, because if you were to do something like that, you could uh, you could seriously manipulate the market and change the prices of the electricity. Because in these RTOs, the price of electricity changes on an hourly basis, it changes on a daily basis, um, and it changes on a sub-hourly basis. And right. so the, the price changes over, over the course of the day as, as more energy demand is needed. And so when there's higher demand, the prices are higher uh, to draw in more supply. And when the, pr- when the prices are low, then the supply turns itself off. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Seam, uh, y- you've got companies like Southern Company, uh, Dominion over in South Carolina, Duke Energy in the Carolinas, TVA, Louisville Gas and Electric, and the cooperatives in Missouri that are trying to put together a, a bit of a platform to change to exchange extra energy on a 15-minute basis. And so the idea is that every 15 minutes, if you've got a power plant that could generate energy, you would bid this into this auction, and the auction would match you up with a buyer somewhere in that giant region. And if you get matched, uh, then you you share a price and then you move the energy uh, across the region. So theoretically, someone making power in North Carolina could be selling that to Northern Missouri under this concept. Theoretically, yes. Um, and, and generally markets are, are in my opinion, and, and our organization's opinion, markets are generally quite good. And it's, it's yeah. being able to move power around freely, uh, efficiently, quickly. But what SEAM doesn't have is a lot of the same structure and a lot of the same products that RTOs have. And so if, um, uh, if an RTO was like an apple pie, this would be a sliver of a piece of pie in terms of what you could get out of it. <laughs> I know that's that's not a great yeah. analogy. I'm trying. I, I'm trying my best. I promise. <laughs> um, well, so I mean, like, if you're like into, you want to see uh, utilities get into more renewable energy, more uh, generation of it, more use of it. Um, what's something that is? I mean, let me back up a little bit. We don't know a lot about seam quite yet do we no we know there there's not i mean like i know there's some utilities like say tva i think you've seen some presentations there i think duke has filed something with their with the north carolina right version of the public service commission so there is some sense from those utilities about what this is going to do but like let's say associate electric in missouri they do not have to submit anything to the Missouri Public Service Commission because they just don't get regulated by them in the same way that like Ameren or Evergy or Liberty does. Um, so in looking at these uh, proposals that have been filed in some of these other states that I know you've looked at because I think you're the one who shared them with us, some of the people in our group. If you're a renewable energy supporter, then what is it that we think could be potentially very you know, what, what's one thing or one or two things that could be promising about this plan? Yeah, it's um, not entirely clear yet what the breakdown in, in benefits actually are. So right. the, the only real analysis that we've seen regarding the, the potential upside of a Southeastern energy exchange market is a study that was commissioned by the utilities themselves. Mm-hmm. And that study came... Uh, at, I don't know, it was three months ago, four months ago, uh, that we were able to get a copy of it. And, and it found across that giant region that they would anticipate something like 30 to $40 million in savings per year. And to put that into context, that's less than a dollar a person per year in that giant footprint, because it's, it's a really, really big footprint. And in fact, it's actually bigger than MISO uh, in terms of, of how much power generation is, is based in that footprint. So it's a really, really big region. And so yeah. 
the, the 30 to $40 million that they're anticipating on saving, we're not exactly sure who sees the most of those benefits and where the benefits actually flow. So we can't say, for instance, oh, you know, we're, we're anticipating a million dollars to be saved over in Missouri or $3 million in TVA or $10 million in, in, in Southern. Um, but it's, it's at this point, we just don't know. And there were a lot of assumptions in the, in the study that, for instance, that everyone participated <laughs> and everyone participated fairly. Yeah. Um, and so that's a pretty big assumption with something that's, that's unusual, that is novel, hasn't been tried before. In an RTO, th there are some pretty clear rules on how, how the power flow is supposed to work and how generation and how load are supposed to match up. Um, those are tried and true tools that, that we have in many other parts of the country that we understand, that we can model, we can, we can better predict. Um, but on this one, we're, we're just not quite sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I think there's a lot of question marks uh, that a lot of, I mean, like I, I kind of look at, we, we've had some, some conversations and some phone calls. We have some very impressive people working on this from around that region. Um, I feel pretty useless because we don't really have anything <laughs> that we can do right now. I mean, I know that we're, we're planning on doing something with FERC on this. Uh, at Renew Missouri, but I mean, you know, when you think about Associate Electric, uh, you know, I, and I don't know your familiarity, but I mean, they, they're only responsible for about 15% of the power produced in Missouri. Um, it's not very big. It, geographically, it is significant. And, right. uh, you know, and again, you kind of talk about the, you know, the way um, power evolved as, um, as, as in, 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 in the history of this country in the past hundred years. You know, the co-ops were developed in the 30s because a lot of privately owned utilities would not provide power. That's right. For rural areas. And so that was, um, you know, that was a piece of legislation in 1936, I think, that uh, authorized these entities to do it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a market failure that was not being met. That, you know, that was a piece of government uh, legislation that did allow them to do it. That's important. That's really critical. Um, they still are doing critical things. But, you know, from our perspective in Missouri, they're not, I mean, they're not really shifting towards renewables the way they should. I mean, they've got two pretty sizable coal plants uh, in Missouri. Uh, they have a pretty sizable wind farm. But I think one of my hopes with this is, I mean, I'll just tell you as a Missouri advocate, one of my hopes is, is that they will take advantage of maybe some of the power that's being used in, I mean, we, you know, you see the Carolinas has a lot of renewable energy and that's that's growing especially like i think north carolina um yeah that's, that's right that maybe that will shift um associate electric's consumption away from coal that's my hope anyway yeah um that that's a good uh point though to make just real quick is that yeah. the, the southeastern energy exchange market is not agnostic uh, well, it is agnostic on, on generation type. And so any type of power plant could bid into it. And so we're not entirely sure, but it, it is entirely possible that the cooperatives in Missouri could actually sell coal on the, on the Southeastern Energy Exchange market yeah. to utilities in the East. Um, generally, you know, just taking a step back. And, that would be the downside, the opposite of what I was hoping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, if you've got a lot of excess uh, generation lying around and you're trying to find places to sell that power, but you're not part of a market, it's really hard to sell that power. But if you are part of a market like this and you do have extra capacity lying around, you could move that power elsewhere in that region. Mm -hmm. um, for renewables, having a large region like this, especially one that spans east to west, is really quite helpful uh, whenever you're trying to balance power flows. And especially for things like solar where, uh, you know, we've all heard about the duck curve where the, the solar uh, resources uh, generate the best at noon, but maybe not so much later in the afternoon, um, or they, they, they kind of dip down a little bit in the afternoon. But if you have a solar facility, say, in Missouri, 
you can, and it's generating at noon, well, it's one o'clock on the East Coast. And so you've actually got a really nice solar profile in Missouri where you could send that power eastward. Um, and just having that greater geographic diversity makes the, the system more reliable and uh, able to, to access better uh, generation technology because of the, the different weather, uh, the weather systems change across such a big region. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was excited that it might be good for Missouri, but might not be so good for other more progressive states. <laughs> on this yeah, topic. well, it's it's we can't say at this point, because, again, you're not required to bid in and you're not required to buy. And so even that is a huge component of being able to predict how this thing is actually going to be used. Now, we, we have seen some marketing material from uh, the utilities that are proposing this market that they, they say it will help enable uh, integration of renewables, but we, we really don't have a lot of confidence in the analysis that, that was provided regarding that. And it's it, it, there, there's no saying that it's going to happen that way. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, you know, and I, I think, you know, the other questions I have about like, well, how does independent producers fit into this and that sort of thing? We still just, it's a lot of questions. Who's well, going to govern it? Who's going to run it? Well, that's yeah. So with, with, with an RTO, for instance, like with MISO, MISO is broken up into, I think it's 10 or 11 different sectors. And so you've got one sector, which is the transmission owner sector, and that's usually uh, the larger utilities and uh, like the Entergy's or, you know, maybe the Amarins. Uh, and then you've got the independent power producers. And so those are a, a lot of the renewable development companies or the, the, the smaller companies that are trying to go uh, private, be private and uh, generate power on their own. And then you've got uh, the organization of MISO states, which is all of the state regulators uh, in the entire MISO footprint. And so, you know, you talk about having problems working just with one PSC. Well, now you're working with all of them <laughs> in the footprint, but at least they have a seat at the table. Whereas, uh, and then also we've got the environmental sector, which is uh, the, the, the part of the stakeholder group that, that I operate in, uh, working with um, NGO companies and then also other trade associations. But um, with something like the Southeastern Energy Exchange Market, the, the, there is no seat at the table for the, the state regulators, for advocates. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to understand, even for me, how independent power producers, the renewable developers, might even have a seat at the table with right. operation and governance of this thing. And so it is, it is lasting, lacking a lot of the governance that you normally would get with something like an RTO. Yeah. And... Right. And so I think that with that, you know, we don't have a FERC filing yet. We don't know what that's going to look like. And I guess, you know, it's interesting. You probably do a lot more work with them. I mean, right now, with everything going on at the federal level, um, you know, we are going to have another a new president come in, despite what some people think. Um, I mean, what do you think that's going to have an impact on FERC? Because FERC is the Federal Electric Regulatory Commission, I think. So I don't know why those always <laughs> <I> screw up. <laughs> Federal, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Yeah. So right, what, right, right. Yeah. what we've seen and what we've heard is that the, the Southeastern Energy Exchange Market will be filed at FERC. Um, Duke uh, Energy over in North Carolina was required to file a, a informational notification with their Utilities Commission about two weeks ahead of time before they file something at FERC. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know why they did this, but they, they filed a letter with their utilities commission and said, you know, here's the thing that we want to file with FERC. We don't think we have to get your permission. We don't think you have any oversight regarding this. I mean, the letter that they sent was really quite um, dismissal of their regulator, um, which I just don't understand why, why they wrote the letter so uh, tersely. But the regulator came back and said, um, you know, we got your letter <laughs> and <laughs> you're actually not allowed to file at FERC until we get a staff report on whether or not what you say is accurate about how much influence we have over this process. And so we were actually anticipating this FERC filing 
a little over a week ago uh, right. over the holiday season at FERC. And the regulator uh, just in North Carolina, the, the utility commission stepped in and, and stopped the entire thing from being filed oh, so that they can do some, some due diligence and, and some analysis on it, um, which, you know, that's, that's that's the power that a state regulator can have when they're yeah, yeah. they're uh, doing their job and, and regulating the the monopoly utilities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can think of one example where that was done in Missouri when um, <clears throat> Kansas City Power and Light about five years ago, four and a half years ago, when they were talking about their initial merger with Westar, they basically sent a letter saying we don't have to get your permission to do this because we're buying an outside of the state thing. And then a complaint was filed and then they got rejected at Kansas. And then all of a sudden they said, you know, we're going to be cooperative and just file right. here, which I just have to wonder how much, uh, uh, you know, teeth gnashing and hand wringing you could avoid if people just, I don't know, gave some oversight to the people that are supposed to be overseeing you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it was very unusual, but uh, we're waiting for a staff report from the Utilities Commission in North Carolina, uh, right. maybe in a couple days, and uh, then there's supposed to be a hearing, I think, within uh, about a week uh, from today on oral arguments regarding this entire issue, and so maybe we'll hear some more about it over the next week or two, um, but all the state commissions, theoretically, in, in many of these places, in, in Kentucky, in Georgia, in Mississippi, they could do the exact same thing. They, they yeah. could file with their utilities and say, look, we're going to open up a docket and start talking about the Southeastern Energy Exchange market in part because we're your regulator. We'd like to know what you're up to and how, what you're doing. You know, and, and really, even if it's just a fact finding thing to figure out what those numbers are of how much is it going to cost us to implement this and then how much money are we going to save? And then are there other ways that we could make it better? You know, improving governance, improving transparency, making the market more fluid and including uh, uh, more, more of these tools that the RTOs have to make a more efficient energy marketplace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's not something you're gonna probably see the state regulators here in Missouri do with Associated Electric because they don't have that kind of oversight of them. But I can tell you like right now that there is a, there is a, there's a docket in the, in the Public Service Commission asking the um, utilities to justify their membership to RTOs. Um, and I think it's really not so much that um, uh, the Public Service Commission sees those as bad things. They're just trying to get some information. They're trying to get some insight on how things are going there. Um, yeah, and I think that's I think that's a good thing to do. You know, check under the hood every once in a while, make make sure things are running uh, efficiently. Um, I, I will say uh, the the SPP and MISO duopoly in Missouri, uh, it's it's a similar uh, situation down in Arkansas, uh, where it, we have a lot of problems actually because there are two independent. RTOs operating yeah. because as I was saying earlier, you know, the more that you can share with your neighbors, the more efficient, the more reliable, it would be really great if you could move power across that seam uh, between those two different RTOs. And uh, that way you can move uh, wind from the West and you can move solar from the East. You can win, move wind from the North and solar from the South. And if you just have better interconnections with your neighbors like that, we we can incorporate just so much more renewable energy and lower everybody's costs. And so I think it's a good idea to, to, to do that kind of analysis to say, you know, how are our memberships in these RTOs going? And are there ways that we could maybe improve those? Pretty wild that Ameren and Evergy, or at least uh, with Kansas City and St. Louis, they're not able to directly engage with that because of that setup. It is interesting. Yeah, well, you can move power back and forth, but there's a cost to doing that, and well, it's it's it. They, they kind of consider them uh, uh, kind of like toll roads where you've got to pay your toll to get from one side to get to the other. But right. if you were to do something like eliminate that that hurdle cost and mm -hmm. and move the power back and forth more efficiently like that, you could you could save some money. Uh, and also, if you had a better planning process between those two, you could build some new transmission lines that better enabled the power flow to move to where it needs to go. Yeah, All right. Well, I mean, so we're still kind of in a wait and see, but I mean, I think just having this kind of basic uh, knowledge on this is important. I mean, as someone's listening, 
today. I mean, what, I mean, I know that we're, Renew Missouri is going to try to get information out to our supporters about what uh, is going on with this. But as far as like anything, is there anything that you're aware of it? Like if someone were like kind of really engaged with this and maybe like a utility related professional one to learn more about this, I mean, is there any resource that you would send them to? No, one? no, no, there's not. <laughs> I didn't think there was, but I thought maybe that something had popped up, but it's um, a really it's unusual. It yeah. It's a really unusual thing because we have some, and you know them as well, but for your audience, some really phenomenal advocates in the Southeast who do just yeah. extraordinarily great work, but they don't, they, they've never dealt with an RTO. And then on the flip side, we've got some really, really bright folks that have dealt in RTOs and they've dealt with FERC, but because they, they deal in markets and the Southeast doesn't have a market, they've never worked or done anything in the Southeast. And so we've got a bit of a gap here of there's not a lot of folks really paying close attention to this issue in particular. And uh, that's where, you know, I'm kind of straddling between these two worlds of, doing the market work in MISO and then also working in a non-market area uh, throughout the Southeast. And so uh, there, there's not a, a, a one good catch-all. And in fact, this podcast is probably the best. <laughs> hey, <laughs> number one. Well, I've used that tagline. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> come, yeah. Come all your information on SEAM. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, part of our, my job as a C3 is to educate people and, you know, keep the public informed on this stuff in addition to the advocacy that we're hoping to do. Yeah. That's um, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think this is evolving. This is kind of exciting to a certain level to watch from the beginning, from the inception of it. Um, so the fact that people can see this almost in real time, and we're going to try to do that through emails and other podcasts. I mean, I hope that we can have other folks that's are they're part of that um part of that um a part of that group that we're working with on because i think that, again they are very exciting to listen to and to watch um, because i have not done a lot of folks stuff we have, we do not do a lot of folks stuff obviously um and um you know learning from that is going to be really important to make sure this is um as effective as it can be um but yeah so and i mean I, we kind of mentioned at the top of the hour you you are from Neo show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I grew up in Newton Neosho. County. Yeah, that's right. I was born in Joplin. Yep. Went to school in Springfield. Yeah, you went to Missouri State. That's right. Yep. I was there when they got the name change. And so I, I am a, an official Missouri State alum. Now, yeah. So that used to be Southwest Missouri State University for some of the folks. Uh, yes, that's right. I know that. But yeah, that I mean, I'm from uh, I think I've mentioned this quite a bit on here. I'm from uh, the southwest part of the state. I was from Webster County, which is just due east of Springfield. I went to college in um, Springfield, but did not go to Missouri State. I went to Drury. Ah, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> kids from the uh, the kids from the small towns with chips on their shoulders go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, I, and I lived in Springfield for about 10 years uh, doing private practice before I uh, moved to Jefferson City to work uh, in the state. So yeah, Southwest Missouri is somewhere I feel uh, very uh, strongly attached to still. Um, and so yeah, it's nice to always, um, where'd you like hanging out in Springfield? Do you have any? Bass <laughs> Pro Shop, man. Bass Pro Shop, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. I, the Wonders I of Wildlife to... Museum is pretty amazing. They just it is now. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually worked there before they shut it down for like a decade to, to do all that oh, work. Oh, really? Yeah, I was I was operating the um, uh, the virtual fishing uh, experience. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That okay. Yeah, my job was to make sure that the uh, the fishing rods worked and that the computers didn't crash. And if they <laughs> had questions about the the saltwater tank, I was there to help. But yeah, I I had also helped with the um, the local uh, Parkview High School speech and debate team. Oh yeah, and uh, also worked for Green County Park Board uh, as a cave tour guide. Uh, so I I got the I got the Springfield oh. experience. Yeah. Uh, okay, the cave. I mean, was it like? I mean, Doling Park has a cave. That's one of the caves that Sequiota. that I take. Yeah, at Sequiota, and then um, uh, out to uh, to Ritter Springs Park. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. gorgeous. It's like they've got nobody knows anything about in Springfield. It's they've really got cool. some crazy caves there that are highly dangerous, but I'd take oh, people into them. Yeah, for for the park board though. So I, I was oh. trained. <laughs> 
And uh, I've just hiked things. out there. I've, I've, I've gone out there. There's like a neat little pond, a little small lake, and there's a nice creeks out there, but I've never, didn't know there were caves out there. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, so there, the, the pond uh, is actually a former landfill. Oh, really? Yeah. So they, they, they capped it over and didn't do a very good job. And so the water quality is actually really terrible. Um, <laughs> but if you go to the pond and then you hang a left kind of up the hillside, there's a cave up back there that, that you can get into fairly easily. Oh, okay. And then there's a really large cave on site that has a gate over it, thankfully. Um, but they, I believe there were some, uh, some gray bats that they had found in there. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, which super important. And, um, but you could go in and the, the rumor was that the cave went back so far that you could go in and almost get to, um, oh, what's the big drive-through cavern called? Fantastic Caverns. Yeah, see, th there, was, there, was, there was a legend that you could go into Fantastic Caverns for free. If you went if in there. you went through this cave. Oh. Let me tell you, I went in with some staff members and it was probably like a two hour in to get towards the back. And I was about, I don't know, 50 pounds lighter as well. And it, it was really hard to get all the way back there. And then once we got back there, there was actually a concrete wall that oh. someone had built. <laughs> Yeah, because Fantastic Caverns used to be like, and I know that we are going way too local and most people no, don't care, <laughs> but it used to be like a speakeasy in the 20s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they used to like do, they like used to have illegal stuff, but they also had like clan meetings there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, I think that like when it was private, they maybe they, they, they walled it up. <laughs> so I they don't know, but yeah, that... illegal booze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. But yep, that's that's uh, a bit of my Missouri lore. Oh, yep. that's amazing! So you worked at Bass Pro and you worked for the Parks Department. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And and we were trying to talking that we were on the phone the other day, and you had you were kind of involved at the Southwest Two coal plant down there was kind of right. going up time, which was very controversial. Building a new coal plant in the right. mid aughts, which was not something you were seeing uh, much of. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's actually how I got my start in the energy industry was I, I was at college when uh, the ballot initiatives were were happening around Southwest 2. And it, it kind of occurred to me, I'm a fisherman, that building a new coal plant in the 21st century probably isn't a great idea, uh, especially for fishing. Yeah. And so I, I got really interested in it. And I, I started asking around, I said, okay, well, we need energy. What are we going to do? Right. You know, we're not going to burn, we don't want to burn coal. We don't want to do gas because gas was ridiculously expensive at the time yeah. and we're going to need energy. And um, I wasn't getting a lot of really good answers. And so I started looking more into wind because it was, it was the cheapest renewable resource yeah. we had at the time. And so as one of my papers uh, in college, my, my senior year, I wrote this paper comparing um, a case study of some wind farms up in Wisconsin and in Ohio showing that you could build a wind farm in Southwest Missouri. Oh, which is done now, by the way. Which is, which is what's happened now. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I was about 15 years too early, but yeah. 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 But it could be done and it, and it is being done now. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. No, I, I, that was when I started getting kind of more involved environmentally when that happened, I was running for office and um, I, my initial opinion was like, well, you know, so the utility says they need it. And I kind of got right. sent by somebody very early, which is very good. I started looking at that and I was like, yeah, oh man. Yeah. So that's when I started really getting into being interested on a personal level about renewables. So that's, uh, yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah. yeah. I really yeah. love municipal utilities. They're, they're some of my favorite because it, it's always surprising to me. Someone runs for city council and then they find out, oh my gosh, we actually own a coal plant and I'm in charge. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. And they're like, wait a minute, we signed these contracts and how long do they yeah, go? That's right. That's right. That's 20 right. years. Oh my gosh. Were we morons? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. Like I said earlier, you know, we had lived in Lafayette for uh, uh, Louisiana for about yeah. seven years and they've got a municipal utility. And uh, I'd start show, showing up to the city, city council meetings, 
talking about coal and the council members were like, what are you talking about? And I go, well, we, we own a coal plant and you're in charge. Well, we had no idea. <laughs> you know? And, and <laughs> after, after several iterations, uh, they just went through an integrated resource plan where they're planning to shut down the coal plant and build 300 megawatts of solar. Wow. That's yeah. Cool. Which is a huge deal for them. So that's awesome. Um, you can do some really cool stuff with municipal and they've also got a fiber network down there too. So that's, that's really cool. So, I, yeah, I, I always try to emphasize the fact we have some really good watchdogs and we have some people really engaged at the municipal utilities. It is somewhere you can, I mean, if you get educated on it and you can educate city council members on it, a lot of those folks I know in Springfield, Columbia, they're not getting paid to do that. If you can right. be a resource for them and help them, that is a bigger deal than almost anything I'm doing. Yeah, uh, that you can like help be, uh, you know, guide to changing that in your own community. It's, yeah, it's LED. Yeah, we got LED streetlights down in Lafayette because um, I was working with some folks to try and uh, get those. Uh, so they're going to be installing those soon. And then we also got some EV charge stations because uh, we didn't have any. Oh, yeah. We didn't have any. And so um, it was kind of embarrassing for, for a town of Lafayette size. Lafayette is a little bit smaller than Springfield. And they had no charge stations. Really? And so there were a lot of these smaller communities all around that, that did have charge stations. Um, but eventually they, they got a, a Tesla supercharger. They got some additional level twos. Oh, wow. uh, so so we, we helped put them on the map. So oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's just little stuff like that can make a big. Yeah, difference. that's right. You know, you are doing big stuff. Um, and I guess you know, if someone wants to learn more about your group, where can they go? They can go to southernrenewable.org but I'm in charge of the website. So you may as well just email me as well. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> What's your email address? It's yeah. just Simon at southernwind.org. And you're very busy on Twitter, which I like, I appreciate. What's your, what's your handle if anybody wants to follow it, you? It's at, at Simon Mahan, M-A-H-A-N. Yeah, I, since I work from home and I, I don't have coworkers, uh, I, I consider everyone on Twitter to be my coworker, so. <laughs> I mean, I find, I find like what you share very useful and I think our, our listeners would too. So I'm, I'm glad I get to follow you. Um, yeah. Between the fly fishing and Ghostbusters uh, banter as well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a movie critic. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Simon, thanks again. Uh, Philip, do you have anything you want to add? I know you've been dutifully listening, but do you have any questions for Simon? Um, I do not. This is very interesting. I appreciate it. Yeah, you've learned a lot about SEAM, I bet, on here. <laughs> yeah, the most. Um, yeah, well, again, thank you, Simon. And um, I just want to thank our listeners and supporters out there. Um, we've uh, kind of wrapping up our year-end appeals, and we had a very uh, generous uh, outpour of support this year. We really appreciate that. You can still give money at RenewMo.org. And if you have any interests or questions about the legislative session, which is underway, here in Missouri, we have a list of legislative priorities that we are sharing and that there are some big things that we think are exciting. There are some things that we think are bad. Uh, Simon, I don't know if you know this, we are considering we have securitization as a proposed ballot, okay. not ballot, but as a, as a piece of legislation this year. Okay, um, interesting. Which we hope we pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're working on all that. And on behalf of everyone here at Renew Missouri, I want to thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. Be sure to uh, like this, um, you know, to, uh, to subscribe to this on all major platforms, write a review, share it on your social media platform. And uh, yes, this is James Owen with Missouri saying Seacrest out. <laughs> <laughs>